Are you ready to realize the true potential in your life and help others do the same? Get equipped to create a thriving future with the Secrets of Success podcast. Inspire others to live, lead, and work on purpose. And experience the joy of watching satisfaction and productivity come to life. And now, here's your host, Dr. Ken Keyes. Welcome to the Secrets of Success podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ken Keyes. Well, each week we have unique guests from all walks of life, and today is no different. We have a world-class athlete, an individual who has really set some records in the volleyball space. She's also married to a world-class surfer, so she's going to tell us some stories there. And she's actually joining us from the North Shore in Hawaii for this interview. So welcome, Gabby Reese, to the Secrets of Success podcast. Thank you. So, Gabby, you, you've uh, taken the time to join us. Like we uh, like to do in The Secrets of Success is to really get to know our guests and their journey. So tell us a little bit about where you grew up and your story, and then we'll get into some of the principles that have led to your um, success in life here later on in the show. Okay, I had... Um you know, I sort of, even though I wasn't a military brat, I bopped around quite a bit uh, as, a, as a kid. I, my parents met in California, but my mother was from New York and my father's from Trinidad. And um, so when I was very young, maybe two years old, uh, my mother started training dolphins in Mexico City in a circus. And so I lived there for a little bit. Wow. And during that time... I Who know. knows that, I, right? Okay, very, Trinidad, New York, L.A., Mexico City, <laughs> Dolphins. Yeah, no problem. Yeah, but so when I was there, though, I um, I used to hang out with actually the contortionist kid, but that's another story. I uh, I got whooping cough, and so my parents weren't together, and my mother was quite young and also trying to work, and I ended up living with like sort of neighborhood friends of my mother's from New York for five years. So from two to seven, I went and lived in Long Island, New York. And during that time, actually, my father passed away Mm. uh, in a plane crash when I was five. And so then when I was seven, um, I think my mother had a romance with the islands. Uh, My mother got remarried to someone from Puerto Rico. And so then I moved down to the Caribbean and actually ended up being raised pretty my formative years in St. Thomas in the Virgin Islands. And as great as that is, uh, it also, you sort of as a young teenager, you can, there, there sometimes isn't enough to do. Correct. And so I got moved out of there my junior year of high school to Florida. And I had dabbled in volleyball a little bit and I was six, three by the time I was 15. So, you know, there's some obvious, things there about my size and um when i moved to florida i went to a really small school so meaning that gave me a chance where even if i wasn't uh that experienced in playing sports my size alone kind of created um you know a place for me on the team and so i played volleyball and basketball and also had i i would say that that was one of the really important times in my life because i went from sort of one whole thinking about my future which was I never thought about college. I grew up on an island. I I probably would have worked at a gift shop and I didn't understand or wasn't exposed to this idea of of a of setting goals or dreaming and then kind of going mm. for that. And so when I was in Florida, 
I had some pretty amazing coaches and people who supported me. And then I got uh, scholarship offers. And quite frankly, I wouldn't have not been able to afford to go to university had I not gotten that, nor was I actually thinking about it. Mm. And so... Um, now, I just want to back up, up, Gabby, for a second. Sorry to interrupt your flow. But as a, yeah. as a child moving around and going through all these sort of changes, how did you manage that? I mean, that for, for some individuals that age, just all the, the, the significant changes, what do you think created your resilience at that, that age to manage all this? Well, I think, it's, I think it's a combination of things. I think we're all born with a certain, certain, in certain ways, right? So I would love to say, oh, I, I really thought about it and, and, and uh, sort of had this great plan. But the truth of the matter is I, I was born a certain way and what seems to be one of the feature, one of my traits, which are good and, which is good and bad, is this notion of survival. Uh, I'm very, from very, very young, I was hardwired to navigate survival. Like I had actually a, a, a therapist ask me once, like, oh, did you feel sad or did you feel not worthy? Because, you know, it could have been perceived that my mom left. And I was like, who, who could think about that? I was trying to think about, like, where is stability coming from? So I mm-hmm. think the good part of that was that that was sort of hardwired in. The bad part is when you become a fully formed adult and that, that worked for that time in your life, but it, it's like, it, it's actually, you need to change that and grow so that it reflects the reality that you're in now. And sometimes changing those gears is very, very hard. So um, we can get into that later, but that was something that I realized was a great system I had in place a long time ago and it, it worked for a lot of things. And then you have to kind of look at it and reevaluate it and try to change the best that you can as, as you get older. And so, and the other side of that is I always had very supportive, you know, like the couple that I lived with in Long Island and a few coaches, I really had some very important adults placed in my life at the right time. So I had mm. that as well. Um, p- just people that, either gave me that love or that security or that consistency or the lessons or the belief. Um, and so I ended up going to Florida state on a volleyball scholarship and I had a, a, a really important, I was 17 and I had my volleyball coach was another person who is still a very dear friend of mine and uh, was a, a really important person at that time because after my freshman year, I was, I was for the most part on my own and mm-hmm. I started modeling in New York and my whole idea about modeling was I just wanted to be, be fully financially independent and, and make a living. Right. So I wasn't going there with this thought of, Oh, I want to, I want uh, attention and I want um, to have my picture taken. I was always sort of practically minded about, so what you're telling me is based on the way that I look, you would allow me to travel around the world and pay me handsomely. Um, I was like, this is an opportunity. So I, I did that and I played volleyball and I did both for the rest of my college career. I actually gave up my scholarship after my sophomore season and paid for my own schooling because of NCAA rules here in the United States. Um, you can't really have a job and be on scholarship, but then you're not a, you know, you become a professional. So it was mm-hmm. just easier to pay. <clears throat> so I did that. And uh, once I got out of school, I moved to Florida because I didn't want to live in New York full time. And I picked up the beach game. And after about a year and a half, 
I had friends there say, you know, you should move to California and become a professional. And, you know, it's always great when you don't know better. And so I was like, yeah, that's a good idea. <laughs> well, that's and great. So now, uh, so, Gabby, where's, where was your mother in, in this at, at this point? Was she still living uh, well, on in St. Thomas? or? No, no. She was actually in New York or Florida and then sort of back to New York. And, but, but pretty much by 17, I, I kind of was on my own. And um, my stepfather actually for my first year at school sent me like 300 bucks a month because your laundry and if you want to go to the movies, that's not under your scholarship. Like your food and your mm-hmm. rent and your school and books and stuff is. So he did that. And then I, when I moved to New York and I started working, at that point I, I pretty much became completely independent of everybody. Cool. Okay. So now you and didn't so, know any better. You didn't know any better. And yeah, now so you're going I, I to California. I moved to California and uh, I was really, again, very fortunate. Uh, they opened up, a, a, they had a professional two-on-two, but that's simultaneously they, to me moving there, they opened up a four-on-four, which is very agreeable to an indoor player. So I was still really transitioning from being an indoor six-on-six to a doubles player. And so mm. the four-on-four was like this beautiful place that I could be successful right away and still learn the doubles game, you know, but, but be doing the four. So I did that. And during that time I signed with Nike. Um, I was actually the first female athlete with a signature shoe line. Again, this is about timing. And, um, and then simultaneously to that, I started doing other things. So because of my modeling, I then started doing uh, television. I had a show called with um, MTV Sports and The Extremists. I started writing columns for Elle magazine, uh, and I used my relationships to explore and ask questions and say, "Hey, I, I'm really interested mm-hmm. in talking about lifestyle." And I had friends at Elle, and they said, "Well, let's let's try it." And they let me do it for three or four years, and and then I continued to do other writing. So. I think, you know, if we're talking about success, one of the things, at least in this part of the story, is I think it's one of the things that I think has helped me a great deal is because I was on a very small platform, volleyball is a small sport, right? Mm-hmm. I, I was pretty clear that I needed to uh, be diverse and not invest everything that I am in this in this one platform because the platform was very small. So... I looked at, well, what are you really naturally interested in? What do you think you really can do well? It wasn't like, oh, I'll just do that because other people are doing that or I'll do that to get attention. It was really understanding where could you show up and probably, if not right away, once you learn and get some experience, could you thrive and succeed and do a good job? Um, and And I sort of felt that way about interviewing people and being on TV and and writing and such. So I simultaneously was always parallel pathing, developing other skills while I was basically spending 80% of my time playing and training for beach volleyball. And so that gave me a certain credibility being an athlete. Uh, it, you know, what you understand when you train like that, I, it just brings you a lot. So I did that for many years. During that time, at about 25, I, I met my husband, who uh, his name is Laird Hamilton, and he was a big wave surfer. And that was sort of the running joke, right? Like the only sport probably worse than beach volleyball as far as like, what do you do is, is big wave surfing. So, so Well, let's just combine them the, then, right? Well, it was just like, a, I was down the road about seven years into it. So 
we, you know, I worked with a manager then and we sort of tried to support Laird and help Laird uh, communicate what he does better. And, and then we were married uh, in 97 and, and, um, and so it's been, it's sort of been this thing. And now if you fast forward, you know, it's interesting to watch his career probably by, I'd say about 2000 and three and four, he was started to get sort of mainstream, some mainstream recognition. And, um, and so then I started having children. And so then I kind of backed off a little bit and, and, and have done that role for quite some time. And now that my kids are certainly getting older, uh, I'm, I'm much more active. And, and now currently, and, and through that process of not waiting for the phone to ring, but saying, okay, what, what, what do we want to be working in? What is, what's, what's an organic extension of, of who we really are? Uh, we have an XPT, which is our fitness business. So there's a pool training and there's heat and ice and breathing. And so I, you know, with another partner sort of developed that and now we have investors and they kind of do the hard part and we keep doing the content part. And Laird has a uh, superfood creamer and coffee business that it was the same thing. He was naturally doing that already. And someone came along and thought, well, how hard would it be to create formulas? And now that business actually is probably the most successful business. So with that business, I am behind helping with relationships and creating content and colors of bags and, you know, anything that is appropriate for me to be a part of. Uh, we've mm. done that. So it's it it what the shift is. I always say in your twenties, if you work in a public job, you kind of go, oh, what's this all about? Oh, I'm getting attention, and then that's all fine and dandy. It's it's not really sustainable. And then, and you are usually working for other companies. And then in your thirties, for me anyway, I sort of thought, well, okay this has been working, but I understand the limitation, age and whatever else there is. And so you go, well, what else do I want to be doing and, and expressing myself and, and kind of laying the groundwork because everything does take time. And then in your forties, it's like you start to go, Hey, I, I would like to be a business owner and have something that goes beyond me because the other side of that is, is in the beginning, everything Laird and I did for the most part, uh, my shoes, I got royalties on my shoes and things like that. It's like anything that you have to show up and take your actual hours that doesn't exist outside of that is not really the play, right? Like you want to have businesses that don't need you and that go on long beyond mm-hmm. the hours you have available in a day. You know, the, be- uh, the so- beauty of creating a leveraged event. Yes. Yeah. So that was something that you, you know, I start to, I probably started to learn in my late twenties and, and just really understood that. And, and I think, you know, it's like going to business school, basically starting these businesses. We've had some fail. Now we're having some that are, are really very successful. And, and I think it's also understanding that you, you must have failures. Like you understand that in sport, you understand that so well, but then sometimes in business, because it is scary and it's time consuming and, some people go, yeah, that's going to work. And other people go, there's no chance. It is a, it is a very, uh, you know, kind of scary endeavor. And, and I think what you learn, though, is you've got to have maybe those first couple failures or even, 
or if it, the one that is successful, maybe it started slower than you had wanted because that is where all the lessons are learned so that the foundation is solid. Mm. And that's good for the audience as you're listening to it. You know, a lot of times great success didn't come easy. And I want to transition back to two things that I, so I don't forget asking you, Gabby, is that, okay. you know, you, you, this is the first time that we met. You appear to be a very nice person. How did you keep your head on and not kind of get full of yourself through this when you were in the 20s, when you had all this success that was coming around you, your modeling career is paying for your university. You're having, uh, you know, you you have single season records and uh, career records mm -hmm. in volleyball. How did you keep grounded and centered and not let it go to your head? Like it can happen with some people. Sure, and I, I worked with a lot of people and, and was around a lot of people, whether they're athletes or, or models or other. I think for me, first of all, because I did grow up on an island, you you think you're raised differently a little bit. And also, personally, I was just so grateful that uh, things were working out. You, you know, I I I just think I was at a place where things were so the other way for me when I was younger that when in fact it shifted. I was so grateful for the opportunities and I, I recognize them as opportunities, not rights See that. Mm. There's a difference, right? Like it isn't my right uh, to have success and do all these things. Um, it is still going to be an opportunity and a gift to me. Now, yes, I have to work hard like in sport, right? They don't give it to you, but just to be able to be there is pretty darn lucky. Mm -hmm. So I never looked at it other than that. And I, I've talked, there's a very famous volleyball player named Carrie Walsh and she's outstanding and she's the best person who's ever played the beach game. And I mean, her accolades are off the charts. And I would say that she really was groomed for success. And so someone like me who kind of fumbles to success, um, the thing, the, the double-edged sword is one way is you are looking at his opportunity and you kind of still are always in that very fight grinding out mode. I'm very much a grinder, but the other side of that is to have allowance. So to allow things to be easy when they can be easy to allow successes to come because what can also happen depending on your personality, some people don't feel they deserve it or they feel guilty for it, um, especially if they're not accustomed to it. So I think within there is some, some subtle things that I've had to learn how to do, which is to allow it and to be, continue to be grateful for it. But also, you know what, if there's opportunities to do positive things and service, then do that because it also, first of all, we should all be doing that. But second of all, it creates balance. And, and for me, balance is, is mm. essential in, in life. So I think why it didn't get to my head is, also sports like you go to you know you go and you act like you're special your teammates will let you know right away like yeah I'll just show you what's special so I think there I just grew up into it in a really good environment to keep me in check and um and and at, at the end listen we we just are occupying a space we're not it's not us we are a portal to something and if you get to be chosen have a certain gift or skill that it's not you doing it it's you've got to work but you're just a portal and and mm -hmm. um and i think you can keep your gift longer and enjoy it more if you recognize that versus 
kind of get caught up. And, and not to mention, and especially now at this time in my life, you really recognize it's not sustainable. So you better be enjoying yourself and building a real life with real relationships because you're in, you're out, you're up, you're down, you're hot, you're not. I mean, it just goes on and on. So I think for me, it was always really being clear that I wanted to develop a, a real life and have real, you know, I, I, my husband and I have been together for 22 years and my daughter, we have three daughters and, making sure that you're doing things for your right and real reasons. Um, even listen, I've said this too, even if it's like I take a certain job and I'm pretty clear, I'm it's, it's about the money. Like you just have to always be honest with yourself about why you're doing things, you know, what's, and how do they fit into the greater strategy? Cause if they make mm-hmm. no sense, it's not worth doing it. And, um, and just, and, and try to have people around you that will, will tell you straight and lift you up. And you got to appreciate that. So obviously, as you said, you were growing up on the islands. Is there this community feel that really nurtured you? So that that just uh, comes out. So thank you for that, Gabby. You said you have three daughters. How old are they? Well, my husband came with um, one, so she's now almost 23. And then uh, my other two are 14 and 10. Wow. So you're having fun. You're having fun as being a mom or a parent. And so it's enjoyable. So, Yes. I'm, I'm also getting put through the teenage meat grinder a little bit too, for sure. Well, we've been there, done that. You, of yeah. course, will be successful. It will, uh, it will come to the other side. And probably, <laughs> as you even noticed with the 23-year-old, that yes. oh, oh, yes. they, they make it okay. They make it okay. Yes, as, as I part know. Of that. It's it's uh that is the that is the greatest uh classroom of all right oh isn't it isn't it but love them yeah. and uh you know just treat them as you were treated and so um one of the things gabby is you had some time that you spent with sylvester and you know sylvester stallone uh, loves british columbia where we're doing this podcast from in vancouver you know he was so famous when he did the rambo movie just an hour and a half east of vancouver what was that time like with uh with Sylvester and what was the show that you were doing with him? I think it was called strong. Yeah, I was, I was fortunate enough. He was an executive producer on a show called strong that was on a American network on NBC and I was the host and uh, you know, I've met him over the years. I know his wife uh, who's very lovely, uh, Jennifer, but you know, uh, I did not work day to day with him. I worked more sort of at events or to promote the show. Um, but you know the running joke is I'm, I'm six three and I'm not sure how tall he is. But every time he sees me, he always says, "Oh, that he forgets how tall I am." <laughs> and <laughs> now, so, so that's really somewhere funny. around five ten ish, plus or minus a half. Yeah, inch. I don't know. I, it's yeah. just funny because I'm coming from the world of sports where every you know some of the girls are way bigger than me or whatever, and um, uh, you know he was, he was always very lovely. But I think for me, what I was really impressed with is his, still his desire to work hard and his longevity, because no matter what, to be able to sustain for 40 years or what have you, give or take, I mean, I admire that because I, I do know how difficult that is. And especially in a fickle business, you know, like Hollywood. Yeah. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Well, thank you for that. Now, you also have written a book, a New York Times mm-hmm. bestseller, My Foot is Too Big for the Glass Slipper. What is that mm-hmm. about? 
Well, that was a book. You know, I really, my whole thing was I, I want to have conversations with people and probably more so women than men just because I'm a woman and saying, well, why aren't, like, why are, why are we not, you know, taking better care of ourselves? But that is a really boring conversation. Like, let's talk about exercise and food. So what I did instead was I wanted to sort of dissect different chapters of our lives. So is it relationships? Is it work? Is it raising children? Is it aging? And have a fun but very direct conversation about that. And then the hope would be, listen, if we're, th- if we're throwing six-year-old birthday parties that are, you know, a competitive trait with our neighbor because it's gotten so ridiculous, mm-hmm. maybe we could dial that back a little and then we'd have a, a few more minutes maybe to exercise and, and sort of, you, you know, just getting this conversation also of like the presentation of being perfect. It's not perfect. And, and so um, I just tried to use my own life and relationships with my children as an opening dialogue. And, and my belief is, listen, we all, we all are going to do it differently. I'll share with you my story. Maybe it inspires you or motivates you to think about your own story because at the end, even in our fitness business, it is never going to be about myself telling anyone what to do. It's going to be, well, here's some ideas what feels good to you. It's like food, even in, when we talk about nutrition. I'm not going to tell you how to eat. I'm just going to say if, if any of these ways of eating is the right way for you, then let's talk about what that looks like so that you can really benefit. And it's the same mm-hmm. with exercise and so forth. So I just wanted to have an open dialogue because the thing that I think we don't talk to women about is, is that regardless, Blair did not birth my children and he did not nurse them. And so right there, really? if I'm trying, well, that's, yeah, I, I, I did I'm, try. I'm we shocked, try. actually. Yeah. Is, <laughs> but so everybody wants, you know, everything to be the same. But I'm like, okay, well, as I've gotten older and I'm trying to balance being a professional person, me, my, just my own personal life as an individual person and a wife and a mother, it's like I wanted to have a more open conversation about, yeah, but this is what we have to navigate. And it isn't the mm. guy's fault that they're navigating something different. It's just the way that it is. And, mm. and I wanted to have that, you know, kind of open conversation because in the end, and it's the same with business that we're talking about business. If you craft it and you really think about it and you do it in the way that feels right for who you are, if you can get that moment of quiet to really understand what your mission is, what your business mission is, then in a way you've already had one success and, and then to go from there. But it's very hard to quiet all of the opinions and voices all around you to really understand what that is for you. Um, so for me, it's the same in life. How do we create our life, our partnerships, our family, our work life in a genuine in way that reflects who we are, not the way we think we're supposed to fit in to the way the world has set it up for us. You said something very important there, Gabby. I think just want to emphasize is this, everybody will have an opinion about your life, but you're the only person who gets to live it. And especially now with social media, people will just share, even if you didn't ask them about what they think about what you're doing. So, uh, you know, for those of you that are listening, you know, what Gabby is saying, hey, listen, uh, opinions are fine, but at the end you have to live your own life. 
One of the other, the subtitle to your book is A Guide to Less Than Perfect. Just emphasize mm-hmm. that a little bit about what that means. And if you want to do it from a woman's perspective, that's fine. About when yeah. you have the sub, sometimes this obsession of perfection when there is no such thing. What can you say to the audience about that today? Well, you know, I love this conversation about like, oh, doing it all. It's like, yeah, when my kids are three years old, I don't say, hey, do you want the ice cream, the cake, and the cookies? You, you can't have it all. You have to make choices. And I think for me, women especially, but just in general people, I, I, you know, I'm a huge advocate of men. And is, uh, first of all, it's impossible to do it perfect. So that isn't the goal. The goal is for not to do it perfect. The goal is to do it the best that we can. And, and that might be different from day to day, and that, and that also changes over time. And so to stop using that metric system as the measure for, well, it's not perfect. Um, and then be, because messy uh, or imperfect is where we learn and is also kind of, I think, rich instead of we're so concerned with hitting the mark all the time. Uh, so I, I think for me it was like saying, hey, why don't we liberate ourselves from this notion of perfect and in the book I talk about, I, I don't think you can have it all. I do think you, you can have it all, just not at the same time. So before I had my children, I had one kind of all. Then when, I, when they were very young, it was a different kind of all, and maybe my work fell a little bit off. And now that my kids are older, my work is, is much stronger. And, you know, it's just all these different things. And I, and I think when we can come to terms with that and make peace with that and really ask ourselves what we want – because if you want to stay home, for example, with your children, then don't beat yourself up that you are choosing not to be the CEO. And if, by the way, you want to be the CEO and have a different dynamic in your house, that's okay too. But I, I just felt like it was hopefully a way to create a supportive conversation about just kind of doing your best and, and going back to doing it your way. Mm. Well, one of the words you used earlier was this whole concept of allow or permission and just allowing yourself to be in this space and not having this sort of guilt or oppression, if you even want to call it that, from other sources. So going forward, uh, Gabby... What can you share from, you know, this uh, amazing journey that you've had, it's been blessed for sure, is mm-hmm. uh, what would you share to others and listeners as far as, in addition to what you've said already, as far as life principles that you live by, that mm-hmm. you embrace and, and just find important to you, but also you have found important to, to others as you've shared with them? Well, it's you know, if you want to relate it back into business, I think, first of all, like, for example, we'll know people that are excellent in business and great business people, but then maybe they're not completely forthcoming in their real life or vice versa. And so I think everything has to be lined up for starters because you're, you're the common root in all of these things, right? And I think for me personally, if I, if I could speak to women, one thing I've learned that's so important in business is I – I always joke, I never start an email with, I'm sorry, and I never end it with, I hope that's okay. That Mm. women, one thing we could definitely learn from men is how to drop off information in an appropriate environment, which in business, and, and just 
that's all we're doing. It's just information. What happens, and when I was a lot younger, is I'd have to either get really wound up to finally say how I felt, or some women will feel that they need to act like a man. And I, I don't think that's the case. I think you can be very matter-of-fact and direct and come from still a kind place, but not be afraid to be that direct, even when it's uncomfortable. So that's definitely one that has saved me a great deal of time. I try to always see it from the other person or group or company side um, when we're in either talks or negotiations. And having said that, sometimes I have to also be reminded, though, this is not my friend. This is a business. This is a company that I'm dealing with. So it's this weird thing of trying to be ethical and understanding from their point of view and their needs and their agendas so that I can be fair coming from my side, but also on the flip side going, hey, this isn't your friend. And so don't, you know, don't be uncomfortable asking for what you think is fair. Mm. And always do extra. You know, both Laird and I think sometimes if you think something in the future could blossom into something greater, it's okay if you do it intelligently to give the extra for nothing to create value so that maybe that does create a relationship. And sometimes you have to do that. You've got to go, give, go, give, go and beyond give. above and beyond, I guess is an old saying we used to have. Yeah. And it's, and sometimes it's even in the beginning, let's say when you're testing or they want to explore something with you, as long as it's done within reason that you're not getting fully taken advantage of. I think that people have to realize sometimes that's what you do. You know, you do more and then later, six months, a year, you will see the return on that. And, and certainly in your work, right, you, will, you, you always give extra. But I, I, I am a believer of stepping back from things, um, from looking at things three months, six months, one year, three years, and five years out. I am, I am also, I try to do a good job of stepping back and find and really looking at whatever business it is and its true value versus I'm just passionate about it and I get lost in that. Because at times I don't think you can make decisions, good business decisions, if you don't understand where you are in the universe. So, mm. you know, it's easy for people to overvalue their ideas or their product, and they can't see outside of that. And sometimes in order to understand how it would navigate in the business landscape, you have to understand what it is and how valuable and how much people care or don't care. So I think that that's something I've really learned. So it's like, how do you care so much about something, but also know how to give yourself distance so that you can make really strategic moves um, because you know, it, it's not just about passion. Mm. It also, and, yeah, and relevance in most yeah, of Yeah, just because you get, love it and, yeah, yeah, it's like not everybody does. So I just think it's, it's those things. And, and the other thing I, I'm really serious about is I, I really try to work with people that I, that I, res I respect as people. Um, and every once in a while, there's people that I respect, but I know that they're kind of sharks or killers, if you will. Mm. But then you go, yes, but I'm, I'm moving into sharky water. And so I need one shark on my team. So I, I know it sounds strange, but it's sort of understanding that uh, you might have people that you work with 
that you, you may not be friends with, but they are very good at something specific that you, your, your business or your team might really need, but it's being really clear about that. Mm, and understanding that and understanding why you're doing it as well. Yeah, it's very important. So, uh, and, and be honest and of course, and, and, you know, I, I'm a believer in, in hard work. And the other thing is, if you're pushing that rock up the hill sometimes, I do think it's important to check in every once in a while and going, okay, am I, is, this because, is this futile at this point or is this the, the normal part of the process? Mm. There comes a point sometimes where you have to know when to go. My energy will be better served and used in another direction or if I could just continue, then you know, it'll, it'll level out. And it's hard to sometimes know that, but I think you have to really be in touch with that. Well, one of the things that you were mentioning, you had good people around you that are willing to tell the truth. So if you have wise counsel, which is different than opinions, then maybe people can give you some real insight about, okay, Gabby, this is, is are you really sure? <laughs> are yes. you really sure this yes. is for you? And so uh, yes. you want to have people around you who feel comfortable to give you the straight goods, don't you? You, you have to because they're not doing you a favor. The people who are willing to tell you really directly, and, is it, and it's not just to put you down, they're really serving the greater good. And, uh, and another principle that, that is really important for me is responsiveness. Even if I respond to somebody to say no, I think one of the things that goes for me personally such a long way is responsiveness. So, if, you know, very clear consistent, responsive communication. And again, even if it's to say, hey, I'm sorry, that's not for us, or we can't do that, or that's not going to work out. You've honored people's time. You've responded. You've buttoned it up one way or the other. Mm. We just finished doing a uh, building for our company. And it's interesting how many of the trades, and and if you are getting into a building too, is uh, how some of them don't get back to you. You'd like to do business with them. They don't get back to you. How do you respond, pardon the pun, to people who aren't responsive? Do you, do you uh, remove them from your sort of core list of contacts or what, how do you deal mm-hmm. with that? Yes, and you'll find what's interesting, and, and you probably know this from your own experience, there'll be people, especially they get wildly successful, right, and very, very busy. Um, like I have a friend, he's, you know, it's, it's insanity. And if, if, I, if I call him, he, he calls me right back. And then I could, I could work with some third-tier agent out of Los Angeles, and they can never call me. Their assistants call me, right? So I think there's also a lesson to be learned from people that are really successful. They're pretty responsive. So for me, no matter how much I like someone or even want to work with them, if they handle it that way, I, I can't because there's too many of the people that are qualified and good at what they do and are responsive because at the end of the day, what are we doing? We're doing work. And so this is, I'm not trying to date you. And so part of work is being responsive and communicating clearly. Uh, and again, even if it's to say, Hey, I'm so sorry, I'm not available or me saying, I appreciate that, but that price won't work or whatever it is. It's essential. And there's people that even that I don't, like I'm not in love with, but they're so on top of their game and so responsive that I, I'm like, okay, we are working together. Mm. 
I, I can't even say enough, Gabby, about how much I embrace what you're saying there and how that is probably my number one pet peeve in business. Is people who just aren't let me responsive. Know. <laughs> That's right. Just Thank you for mentioning that. I don't know if we've had that <laughs> actually on a show recently in the last six months that somebody has mentioned that, and I am so glad that you did it. So I said, "Yay, yay!" I've got a. I'm going to put a hanger on my board here and say, "Gabby said that." So uh, that was awesome. Well, and 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 for your audience, you know, listen. You, there are times I don't have an answer, but what I will do is be responsive and say, "Hey, listen. At this time." I don't have an answer. If you can reach back to me in X amount of days or weeks, I will work on getting one for you. But that is still a response. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Right. You don't, and a lot you of times people are radio silent. Yes. Yeah. Radio silent. They're radio they're silent because they're afraid. Yeah. They're afraid like, well, I don't know. It's okay not to know, but respond. Mm-hmm. Or some people are just seriously flaky. Just, <laughs> they just don't. And, and those are the people it. like, you, you, that can be a friend or whatever, but I think when it comes to business, it's really essential because it, a million people, millions of people have ideas and talents. It is who can execute because I am not that smart and I'm not that talented. I just have learned through the way, through sports, whatever, mm. how to try to execute and inch by inch go towards something. And that is really, I think separates people. Yes, you have people who are genius and brilliant, and you do have people that have some really unique talent, but let me tell you, there's not that many of them. Mm. A lot of people that are working hard like you are. So uh, we have just a few minutes left, Gabby, but before we get into that, uh, share with the audience how they might be able to get a hold of you, uh, learn of some of the things that you're doing, uh, the new project with your husband around fitness. You also have this food line. So just share with us the different sort of uh, methods or ways that they might be able to reach out and learn more about what you're doing. Sure. Well, we have a, for the fitness, we have a website uh, called xptlife.com. And, um, and then my husband's creamer business is called Laird Superfood Creamer. And they, I, you know, I will share this with the audience. One of the most important messages for XPT and one of the more important things that we work on, and we were originally inspired by a gentleman named Wim Hof, is why all of you, especially, you know, if we're talking about business and stuff, the importance of, of nose breathing. Uh, so you know, if they want to look into the science of it deeper, there's a very good book. I have nothing to do with it called the oxygen advantage. It's written by a gentleman who studied the straight science about nose breathing. And at first it's more difficult, but if you continue to do it, uh, moisture builds up in your sinuses and lungs, it gets easier and easier. It's, it's paramount. And if you Mm. think about the breath, it's sort of the essence of life. And, um, and then the, the creamer business is pretty amazing. Uh, we have uh, uh, several different creamers. We have turmeric and cacao and a regular flavor and an unsweetened. And um, it's, uh, it will add a whole other dimension to your coffee experience because there's healthy fat. So it gets, when you drink the coffee with the fat, it gets delivered in more even kind of, you know, stimulant. So you're moving up slower and you don't have that crash. And then the fat also feeds the brain. And, and uh, so there's a lot of, of health benefits to something that a lot of people do every day. 
Oh, cool, cool. And then do you have your own site where people uh, can learn about what you're doing? Yeah, I mean, I have, uh, there's uh, GabbyReese.com and, and um, I have, um, my social medias are under the same name. And uh, if people have specific questions, typically if they, if they DM me or put it on Facebook, it will get to me for sure. And, and talk about responsive, I, I try to be responsive and honor people's time that took time to communicate with me. So. Mm-hmm. Great. Great. Thanks, Gabby. So as we wind up the show, and thank you very much for just sharing your experiences and your journey uh, with us today. If you were to kind of encapsulate two or three gems or key elements of wisdom beyond what you have shared so far, what might you encourage the audience to consider today? Well, for me personally, my whole career has been initiated by a feeling. So I would have a feeling about something that it even, it it wasn't even perfectly clear how it was going to play out, but I understood that I needed to move in a certain direction and I wasn't sure why, but I did have a feeling. And I can remember even when I was modeling, right? I had an accountant who said, why are you playing volleyball? Why don't you take this time to model full time? And for me, first of all, the enjoyment and the love that I got from volleyball, so I wasn't looking for this exact return. What I, what I was getting and experiencing was a, a bigger return than any dollar. Mm-hmm. But if you want to even go beyond that, strategically, it was the smartest thing I could do because it made me, I would not be here right now, you know, doing what I'm doing if I just, you know, modeled. And so... I think sometimes we have these things, these, these forces pushing us inside, and I, I think it's really important uh, to, to follow them. But, but again, to, to keep in check, like the ego makes us do really strange things. And so whenever you're making moves, try to just say, hey, is this a good idea? Am I measuring this out? Is this an impulse or is it an ego? And I think for business too, if you're, let's say, a vegan – but you know you can make tons of cash in the meat business, probably don't do it. You know, I just think even though it is work, I still think our work, the more it can reflect something or some part of who we are, I think that that, there's an enrichment that happens that goes, again, beyond the bottom line or dollars that um, is part of being fulfilled as a human, not just going, oh, I've got a lot of zeros in the bank, uh, because the, the host of problems with that, especially if you do it for the wrong reasons, uh, it's, it's just not worth it. And I think lastly, you know, can we do something in our business that also contributes back into the world that we live in? Because especially now, I would, I would say that modern business that should just be standard business practice where, mm. yes, even if it's just a little, that you are giving something back and contributing something back because it's just the right thing to do. And uh, I just can't affirm that more, uh, Gabby, where there's all kinds of examples where business hasn't been forthcoming and been in integrity. The word that came to mind on principle number two for you that you were sharing was congruence. 
and yeah. being congruent with what you're doing is what you believe and there's a certain synergy or energy that comes from that and if you're not being congruent as you said being a vegan and then uh, being having the largest cattle ranch in Hawaii that is not necessarily uh, congruent so Gabby thank you very much uh, for spending the time and hanging out with us on this show well, thank you for having me. And, and uh, if there's people out there pursuing dreams, I just wish them, you know, great success. And, and uh, to know that, weirdly, the, the, the climbing, the ascend, in some ways is the most exciting and enriching part in a different way than if you reach the success. And, and just to kind of simultaneously, even though it's hard work, try to enjoy that part too. Mm. Uh, the, being engaged in the journey. Well, thank you, Gabby. And Secrets of Success listeners, thank you for spending the most valuable component that you have with us, and that is your time. And as we end, pretty well say this at the end of every show, if you like what we're doing, could you share, could you pass it on, could you let other people know about what we're doing so that we can kind of expand and let others know about the opportunities and take everything that Gabby has shared with you and responsive, be responsive, but also be responsible with all the things that she had shared with you today in the show so that you can go to the next level, so that you can embrace and so that you can make a difference as well. You've been listening to Secrets of Success podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ken Keyes. Thanks for exploring the secrets of success with us. If you want to keep the momentum going, log on to crgleader.com. Scroll to the bottom and sign up for our inspirational emails. You can also take your success to the next level by following us on Facebook and Twitter and connecting with Ken on LinkedIn. We hope you have a great week and look forward to you joining us next time for the Secrets of Success podcast with Dr. Ken Keyes.